You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, good morning, Midtown family. It's great to worship together in person and online as one united church this morning. I'm glad that we can be together. I know we do have some new people here, so I'll introduce myself. My name is Justin. I serve as the associate pastor here at Midtown, and a special welcome to you, you folks that are new. Uh, we are excited today, as Carson shared, we're getting back into a new series in the book of Ephesians that we started last fall, if you were with us last fall, from September to about Thanksgiving, we went through Ephesians 1 to 4 and a half, and now this spring we're going to pick up and go 4 and a half through 6 to finish the letter. And I'm going to give a little bit of background on it just to kind of refresh our memories. If you remember, like in the book of Ephesians, like so many of the letters that Paul wrote to the churches, he front loads the whole first half of the book just with truth. Like there's no command, there's no instruction, there's no here's how you should live. It's just all truth. And specifically in the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about the glorious riches, he calls it, the riches that we have in Christ. And this phrase, in Christ, is repeated time and time again as a reflection of all the things that have come with our faith when we believed in what Jesus did and his death and his resurrection and all that comes with being part of his spiritual family. And so that's what Paul does in the first half of the letter. And then when he gets to chapter 4, then he's going to get into the part where there's actually instruction. In fact, his very first command is to, he says, to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. In other words, we've taken you the all through truth of these first three chapters. Now the very first command is live according to the calling that you've received. Like all this stuff that's true of you, now you want to live like it. And at the very end of the sermon, when we got to chapter 4 through 4 through 16, when we did four and a half, at the very end last time, we looked at one of the very first things that he told them to do. And he told them one of the ways that they needed to live according to what's true is they need to make every effort to keep the unity of the, of the Spirit. And we talked a lot about unity for two weeks. You could go back and listen to those from the fall. That would have been in November because that was the first application because what was true in chapters 1 through 3 was that Paul said that in Christ there are no longer Jews or Gentiles, that instead he's created a new family of God. And so then the application was because this is true, now live like there's no Jew, there's no Gentile, there's no man, there's no woman, that we're all one in Christ. And so today we're actually going to move on to the second implication and it's going to be a whole chunk of scriptures that we're going to do over these next three weeks. The second implication from what he laid out was true of us in these glorious riches that we have in Christ. One of the glorious riches that he describes in chapters 1 through 3 is the glorious riches of having the Holy Spirit. And having the Holy Spirit that actually gives us power to live a new life. That's why we've titled this new series. It's kind of a pun. It's a, it's a new series, but it's, it's the new series. And we're talking about how the power of the Spirit actually changes us and makes us new. And so if you were to read chapters 1 through 3 in Ephesians, you're going to see Paul mention things like that we've been uh, sealed with the Holy Spirit when we, when we first put our faith in him. In chapter 1, he says that we've been resurrected. We have the resurrection power of Christ within us. In chapter 2, he's going to say that we've been made alive in Christ. And now that we're in Christ, we've got this life that's within us because of him. And then in chapter 3, Paul actually prays this prayer for them. I think it'll be the first scripture that we have up here. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's reiterating his prayer for his people that one of the riches that we have in Christ is we have the power of the spirit and he wants that to be strengthened within us is his prayer. And that's what we're going to get to reflect on as we walk through this series uh, that we call New. We're going to look at Paul's instructions now on all the stuff that's true of us in Christ that we've been made new. Now, how do we actually apply it? That's what we're going to talk about these next three weeks. So let me just ask you a couple of questions. 
Do you want to live a new life? Do you want to learn how to walk in the power of the Spirit? Do you want to experience God making you new from the inside out? Do you want freedom from hurts and habits and hang-ups that have weighed you down? Or do you want to get control of your emotions or your anger, your bitterness or unforgiveness? Or do you want freedom from your lusts, your materialism, your overeating, your substance abuse, your greed? Well, if so, then these next few weeks are going to help us learn how Jesus does that within us and how we can cooperate with the Holy Spirit to be made new. So we're going to start in Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. If you have your Bibles, we're going to have it up here on the screen as well. If you are a note taker, there's going to be three things we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the way of the world, the work of Christ, and the way to live a new life. So way of the world, uh, work of Christ, and the way to live a new life. So let's start with the way of the world, which is right here in verse 17. Remember, all these things are true. Now here's his command. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live like the Gentiles do. That's the main command. Like your, your first thing I'm going to tell you is you must no longer live like the Gentiles. There's this former way of life that you lived. And that word Gentiles there is actually just means like, like the nations, like the people that you were with. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about the Ephesians story. But they were Gentiles who'd never heard of Christ, who came to Christ. And he's saying, but that former way, the way you used to live when you were in that world, no longer live like that. And then he's going to go on to describe with many adjectives what that Gentile life was like. The futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding. Separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality. To indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed. Now in chapters 1 through 3, one of the things that Paul says that we have in Christ is we've been made new. We've been made into a new humanity, a new creation. We are a part of a different kingdom. And so what his command is here is now that you're part of this new kingdom, you need to live according to this new kingdom, this new way of life, not how you lived before. And as a reminder, he, he throws on all these adjectives to describe what their life was like when they were following the ways of the world. And we're not going to talk extensively about all of them, but I want to bring them all up here just so you can see. The first is futility in their thinking. The futility means, uh, it's a a word that means meaningless or purposelessness. That apart from Christ, they were living purposeless lives. They weren't living according to God's design and God's purpose for what they should live. They were living futility in their thinking. Next it says they were darkened in their understanding, which means that they were unable to see the glory of Christ. They were unable to understand the gospel. They were living life by their own understanding. They set their own rules and they created their own rights and wrongs and and lived by their own wisdom, their own ways, even though it was darkened. It says that they were separated from the life of God, which means that apart from Christ, you don't have the power of God that we're going to talk about today, that they did not have that. They could not break the cycle that was happening in their lives because they didn't have the power. And ultimately, this led to a hardening of their hearts. Their hearts had grown so cold to the good news that they couldn't accept it. They didn't receive the fact that God loved them, and they couldn't receive God's word. And your, your Bibles, depending on your version, might actually use the word callous, that their hearts had become callous. And just like our, our skin can get callous from wear and wear and wear, it's like with each rejection of God's love, their heart grew harder and harder and harder. To where then ultimately this next one, they lose all sensitivity. That now they don't feel any conviction for any sin or anything that they're doing. They've just gotten so hard that they've lost all sensitivity. In that way of life, you couldn't even feel shame or guilt or conviction In fact, they went beyond that to actually approving of it and justifying it. And finally, it says that they've 
they've given themselves over, rather two more actually, given themselves over to sensuality. This means that they actually just gave up. Like they give, they've given themselves up to it. They said, this is not only just something I'm going to do, I'm going to go at all hearts. I'm going to go at it as hard as I can. And finally then with continual greed, which other versions I think translate it better, it says with a continual lust for more. So that's the way of the world. That was the way of the Ephesians who, who lived in this godless society and they never heard of Jesus until Paul and his missionary friends got there. That was their way of life, the way of the world that he's saying, you no longer live like the Gentiles do. And I would say the same is true of all of us who professed, professed faith in Christ. Whether you at a young age or certainly at an older age, you would say, as I listed through those things, you could look at your life and say, yep, I remember those days. I lived that way. We were purposeless. We were grasping to find life and purpose in things outside of God and clinging to our own man-made philosophies, trusting in our own wisdom, pursuing continually whatever our hearts desired, whatever our emotions wanted, just being carried along. Now, you might think that this book that was written 2,000 years ago doesn't really relate to us today. But if you were to think that, that means you don't know much about the, the culture in Ephesus. Because Ephesus was very much like you could look at Austin in a very, very similar way. I read something from a historian who, who wrote about Ephesus in his time. I wanted to read what he said. He said, in first, first century, the city of Ephesus had an environment very similar to our own modern-day America. It was a crossroads of civilization. Politically, it was known as the supreme metropolis of Asia. The Roman governor and the region lived there, and it was a religious center for worship of the fertility goddess known by the Greeks as Artemis and known by the Romans as Diana. Her temple was on the outskirts of the city. It was actually one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Economically, Ephesus was a giant first century city. It was a strategic location, chief commercial western, uh, center in western Asia Minor. Its harbor brought ships from around the Mediterranean. It had two major roads that gave access to the city from both the coast and inland. And Diana's temple, considered to be the sacred throughout the Roman world, became the primary banking institution in Asia Minor. Morally, however, he writes, the city was bankrupt. Just as our nation is inundated with perversion and pornography, Ephesus was controlled by the prostitutes who affiliated with the Diana worship. Part of the cult of Diana was the use of ritual prostitution, whereby the devotee became joined together with the goddess through her priestesses, ensuring favor throughout that next year. One philosopher, last thing this, this historian says, one philosopher commented on the moral climate of Ephesus and wrote, the inhabitants of that city were fit only to be drowned. He said the reason they could never smile or laugh was because he lived amidst such terrible uncleanliness. See, the words that Paul wrote 2,000 years ago to this Ephesian church applies to us today in Austin, Texas. You must no longer live like the people in your culture live. That was his command, to no longer live like they used to live. And before Christ, they were controlled. They had their darkened thoughts. They were given to sensuality, their emotions, compulsiveness, everything that we just described. Sounds to me pretty similar to our culture, driven by greed, materialism, lust, immorality, relativism, hedonism, idol worship, substance abuse, broken relationships, unforgiveness, racism, pride, and on and on. Where we, in our culture, have become our own gods like them. As it was in Ephesus, as it is in Austin, as it was in all of our hearts, 
That is until Jesus stepped in and revealed himself to us, which is why we have this much happier second note on the work of Jesus. Look what he says next in verse 20 in Ephesians 4. That, however, referring back to the Gentile way of living, that, however, is not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in accordance with the truth that's in Jesus. He's referencing back that he said, hey, you guys were living this way, but you, don't, you remember because he was with them as their missionary. He's saying, for years, I taught you guys differently. You heard something differently. You were taught in accordance with the way of Christ. Now, if you were with us in the fall, you would have known that uh, one of the second sermons I got to do, we did a, kind of an extensive study of Acts chapter 19, because that was actually the, the passage where you see when Paul and his missionaries go to Acts 19, and that's where you see this big revival that takes place, and this is when the Ephesians came to faith. And so we're not going to go totally into it, but I want to mention two things because I think it's relevant, particularly when he says, this is not the way you were taught. The first was, in Acts 19, there's an incredible verse. The incredible verse says that Paul and his, and his men, they taught, and within two years, everyone in the province of Asia had heard the word of the Lord. Remember, those historians described this as just a, a place where people would travel, and they'd come for the worship and for the business. And all these people over a course of two years heard about Jesus. That's the teaching that Paul is reflecting back on. This is not the way that we taught you. And over two years, he taught them the way of Christ and how to live a different life from the Gentiles. And so when he's writing them this letter later, he's encouraging them, remember what I taught you. Live according to that. The second thing that's actually pretty miraculous, if you were to go back and read Acts 19, was there was a moment where they actually repented of their idol worship and all the things that, that historian described, that they actually brought all the stuff and their paraphernalia with the idol, idolatry, that they burned them. <laughs> and it says that there were 50,000 days of wages were lost in that burn, in that fire. And it was so radical that the people had changed the way that they lived and burned all these things related to their idolatry that it affected the economy. And if you remember reading in the rest of the story, the uh, leaders of the, or the, the people in the marketplace that were making these idols were starting to lose money. And so they start a riot and try to get the missionaries sent out, Paul and his friends sent out of there. That's an amazing revival, right? So this is what Paul is reflecting back on when he's saying, don't live like you used to live. You know what we taught you for those years that we were with you. Live in accordance with that. If you were to go back two chapters in chapter 2, uh, Paul's going to kind of reflect back on their conversion and what really took place spiritually. Remember, it's all truth in chapter 2, no commands. But this is how he describes it in chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world, the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who's now at work, and those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, by nature, deserving of wrath. That's before, and that's before this really great verse. I call it the, the best, the, the big but in the Bible. It's Ephesians 2, 4. But because of God's great love, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So how is it that these Ephesians were made new? How did this take place when you read the story in Acts 19? It's because of God's great love for them that he sent Paul, that they softened their hearts to this message. They received it and they lived a new life. The only reason, the only way 
they could have a changed life was that they believed the message of what Christ had done for them. They were made alive in Christ and given resurrection power by the power of the Holy Spirit to live a new way of life. That was true for them, and it's true for all of us today. It's the only thing that can change us is by believing the good news of what Jesus has done for us and being filled then when we receive it, being filled with his power that we can live this new life. I can still remember what it was like in my life. Carson and I, I didn't know this, but we probably have pretty similar stories. I was 14, a teenager that had a lot of wounding and things in my life, and, and I was not interested in God. I didn't even think about God at all with my life. I was darkened in my understanding, and I never gave God a second thought. I was just pursuing every pleasure. I was pursuing popularity. I was doing everything I could to try to find successes. That was all that I cared about until, like the Ephesians that sent Paul, God sent my friend Rob into my life who started challenging me to think about God. And he bugged me enough that I finally, just to get him off my back, I joined a Bible study. <laughs> so for the first time in my life, I started reading about the scriptures, started reading about this life of Jesus. And, and my heart became softer and softer and softer. And so not where Carson went, but I went to Estes Park, Colorado um, at a conference with them after about three months of, of doing this Bible study. And there at the conference, very similar experience. Just one day I said, oh man, I get it. God, because of God's great love for me, he's rich in mercy toward me. He's offering me this free gift of grace. And I responded with faith. And in that very moment, because of my faith and what he could do, he filled me with the power of his spirit. The kind of power that allowed me to live a different kind of life. And so from that day forward, I continue to change and be made more and more new like him. Now, there's been periods of rapid change. <laughs> there's been periods of, of setbacks. Uh, sometimes it was just a surface level type of things. Other periods of my life, it was a very, very deep heart level stuff that continues in my life to this day because that's how we're made new. And that's how it's worked in my life and how it will work in your life. It was a work of Christ that freed me from the way of the world that I was pursuing. And it's the only way that we can be made new is by responding by, in faith. The rest of life, then you just learn how to live in light of this faith, working with the Spirit to produce that life within you. Which brings us to the third point this morning, the way to live a new life. What is the way to live a new life? In verse 22, the last verses we'll look at here, he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by the deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitudes of your minds, and to put on your new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The way to living a new life is a key is just in putting off your old self and putting on your new self. That there's an old self that when you profess faith in Christ, it actually died. It's a dead part of yourself. And then there's a new part of yourself that's a life of Christ that's in you, and you can put on your new self as you put to death your old self. That's the way that you work with the Holy Spirit to see your life changed. It's by simply believing what's already spiritually true of you. If you were to read Ephesians 1 through 3, Paul's making the point again and again and again that you've been raised with Christ. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. Believe that this is true and let it produce that fruit within you. I thought about this passage this week. Um, yesterday, I actually called a nursery to ask about some of my plants that died during the, uh, died during the storm which that's the worst part of it for me. I hate my yard right now and looking at my yard every time I get so depressed. And so I called uh, particularly about some, a plant called autumn sage and epistorum bushes that I have. And I just said, are these things dead? Like, am I gonna have to pull everything out? What, what do I gotta do with these? 
And she said, well, what you need to do is you need to go get a knife, you need to get to the base of it, and you just need to scrape a little bit off, and if there's green, it's alive. All the other stuff will fall off and die, but it's going to come back to life because it's alive from the inside out. And it's not unlike what it looks like for us right now, that when we accept Christ and he's in our lives, we're, we're green inside. We've got the life of Christ within us, a life to live, a power to live a new life. That's a newness of life that we've been given. And then we can be made new, like Paul says, in the attitude of our minds. And we can put on a new self, which is created to be like God with righteousness and holiness. I remember when I did first put my faith in Jesus that summer of 1988, that um, that's one of the things that started happening to me. I started just changing. And I started seeking a way to renew my mind and actually not live the way I was formerly living, but live in a new way and rely upon God to do it. And my buddy Rob, that had been an influence in my life that summer when I came back, we decided we were just going to start reading the Bible together every morning and praying and asking God to change us and make us new. And we actually started focusing on a couple areas of our lives. And this may sound silly, but one of the things that my friend Rob and I did that summer was to work on renewing our language. I was kind of a potty mouth. And I knew that that was something that, that God probably wanted to make new in my life. And so we would get together in the mornings and we would pray. and We would ask God to help change our language and change our hearts so that the words that would come from our heart would be his words instead. And we actually had a contest every day where we'd count each other's cuss words and just we kind of kept tally to who actually won. But I, I saw my life change in that summer as we worked on that. And you may say, that's silly. Well, I got some news for you. The next two weeks, when we, when we look further into these next two chapters, the rest of chapter 4 and into chapter 5, there is much to say about how one of the things that needs to be made new in your life is our tongues. So it's not silly. You're going to see a lot about it. Or I think one of the things that I actually had to do when I was just starting to grow, I realized I probably ought to take down the, the pictures of women in bathing suits that were all over the walls of my, of my room. What kind of parents did I have, by the way? That's unbelievable. <laughs> but they actually all came to faith after I did because they saw the change that took place in my life. So there's that. But I decided, yeah, probably, yeah, Carson, to, to, to help with my lust, I ought to take these posters down and in their place put scriptures or put something that will actually remind me of what Christ has done in me and help me believe again that I have been made new and I've got the life of Christ within me. And so I did that. And you probably don't think that one's as silly. But let me tell you, the next two weeks, we're going to read in Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5 is going to address a lot about our sexuality and how it needs to be made new. On a much deeper, deeper level, I began working and trying to ask God to help me put off anger in my life. I was a very angry, angry teenager, still one of my major struggles in my life. And I asked him to put on patience instead of anger. And as I was walking through that process, I realized that part of my anger was some really deep-seated unforgiveness that I had. And so I, I asked him to, to help take off the old man of, of the unforgiveness and instead let the new man that's full of grace be the one that forgives those who've hurt me in my life. You probably don't think that's a very small thing. Um, but I'll tell you, you're going to go into Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5 and you're going to hear about anger and unforgiveness and bitterness, and how to put that off and then put on Christ and be made new in your emotions. Now, I could go on and on. I could, I could tell you uh, all kinds of different stories. And this is 33 years later. It's the exact same thing that I'm doing. 
seeking the Spirit's power to put off the old and put on the new. In fact, during our 21-day fast that we just had, there were two particular areas of my life that I felt like God was really bringing conviction to me. And I was, I was seeking him during those 21 days for insight into how I can better put off my old self and live in the new life that he has for me. It's a continual process. It's lifelong work. But the way to get there is always the same. Always, always the same. It's by believing what's true of us in Christ and then living that truth out by putting off the old self and putting on the new. Now, Jake and Matt are going to teach the next two Sundays, and they're going to get very practical on many of the things that you would read in Ephesians 4 and 5. And I really, really hope that you guys would come back and listen and so you can take to heart. But the most important thing that you need to have right now is know that the number one thing, the only thing that can change you is by believing the good news of what Jesus has done for you, receiving it and being filled with his power, learning to put off the old and try on the new. So if you'd like to rule your emotions instead of letting your emotions rule you, this is the sermon series for you. If you'd like to control your tongue instead of it controlling you, this is the sermon series for you. If you'd like reconciliation in your relationships instead of brokenness, then this is the sermon series for you. If you'd like to be free from greed and materialism, this is the sermon series for you. If you'd like to be free from sexual sin and substance abuse, this is the sermon series for you because they're all going to be addressed in an aim to help us believe what's true so we can put off our old self and put on our new self. I hope that you would believe that and that this would be a season of our lives as a church and individually each of you would experience the new life of Christ within you as we walk through this together. Let me close this in prayer. I'm actually going to pray two prayers, but let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your great love for us. And we do thank you for the work of Jesus that frees us from the way of the world. We believe today and we receive your grace and the gift of salvation in Jesus. Thank you for making us alive in Christ and filling us with the Holy Spirit. Empower us now to live a new life, put off our old self and to be made new. Make us new, make us like you. And use this sermon series in this church to bring that new life in each of us, we ask in Jesus' name. I'd like to do one more thing. We don't do this every, every week if you're new or visiting, but um, I'd like to ask if you've never put your faith in Jesus, I'd like to invite you to do that this morning. And you can do that just by expressing your faith in a simple prayer. And so I'm going to just pray a prayer. And if that's something that you would like to do that you never have, uh, had that moment like Carson described, like I described, that you've put your faith in Jesus and believed this for the first time, I'd invite you just to pray this prayer after me. Let's pray. Father, I confess that I've followed the ways of the world and lived a life apart from you. Thank you that even so, your great love for me, and you've offered me forgiveness and the gift of Jesus. I receive that gift of grace today. I put my faith in you today. Fill me with your spirit and make me new. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, we would be over, overjoyed uh, to know that. So please let us know. Or if you were invited by a friend, let them know. Because that would be a really joyful thing for us. Speaking of joyful, let's reflect in, in worship and respond in worship as we ask God to make us new together by singing these songs. Let's worship. 
Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.